Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm really pleased to have my friend and colleague, Tomas Serebriski, who is the Chief Economist of the Infrastructure Department at the Inter-American Development Bank. Tomas is one of three editors of a new important report about infrastructure in the Americas, from structures to services, the path to better infrastructure in Latin America and the Caribbean, edited by Dr. Eduardo Cavallo, Andrew Powell, and Tomas Serbrisky, the three of them. We have Tomas with us today. Uh, infrastructure is a really important issue that I don't think gets as much attention as it deserves. Tomas has spent a lot of his career working on the issues of infrastructure and their linkage to growth and the importance of infrastructure, especially in the Western Hemisphere. Tomas, thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much, Dan, for having me in your podcast. So, so Tomas, why, why did you guys write this report? When you guys write a report, it's like a two-year project. So you guys take on big challenges. It's not like you just whip it up in 20 minutes. It's like a two-year exercise or an 18-month exercise, right? Yes, that's correct. It takes uh, more than two years. The IDB picks the topic of its flagship report. This is the American Development Bank 2020 annual flagship report. So, uh, yeah, the topic was chosen three years ago, I guess, previous to COVID. It's the first time that the IDB flagship report dedicated to infrastructure in its uh, 60 years. So it's important for us. Really? I think it's quite important. I've been very grateful for my partnership with you, Tomas. You've been personally helpful to me and the IDB has been also helpful to me as an institution on issues of infrastructure in the last five years at CSIS. We've done a lot of work on the issues of quality infrastructure. We had a commission. You and your colleagues at the IDB were really critical in helping us think those issues through. So I was really pleased to see this major contribution that you all have made. So can you tell us why does infrastructure matter? Infrastructure is incredibly important. But let me tell you that what we try to do, the main objective of this book is to change the focus from assets, from concrete and steel, to services. Why the focus should be on, on services? Let's you know, think about water, for instance. You know, millions in the region don't have, in Latin America and the Caribbean, don't have access to water 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, now these days, in, the, in times of COVID, one of the main recommendations to spread COVID is to wash our hands frequently. Question is how to do it if you only have water a few hours a day. Electricity is also key now in times of COVID as well as uh, telecom services because in several countries, lockdowns very strict and if you work from home, electricity is key jointly with connectivity infrastructure. The other reason why infrastructure is very important is because you know, it fosters economic growth and infrastructure will hopefully help economies recover faster. It's an important source of job creation and productivity gains in the years to come. 
We have to remember that Latin America is a region of very low productivity and inadequate infrastructure services. So it's precisely in these times of recession, and by the way, Latin America is going through a, what I would call a dramatic economic recession, it's where uh, investment in infrastructure is, is more effective to jumpstart growth. In more technical terms, the multiplier effect of infrastructure investment is high precisely now. So that's why infrastructure is, is very relevant, because investment in infrastructure improves the prospect of economic growth, but at the same time is key for quality of life through the services it provides. If you're a government and you have a chance to allocate people, time and money to some activity or some area of focus, what you're saying is, is placing people, time and money to improve infrastructure has multiplier effects on growth in ways that oftentimes other investments do not have. Is that right? That's right. So, you know, so you, you plan this out three years in advance. This was all researched before COVID. Has COVID changed any of this? No, I would say that COVID reinforced the main messages of the book, precisely as I was sharing with you this idea of changing the focus from assets to services. We are all programmed when we think in infrastructure, you know, we think about big construction, airports, trains, you know, big public works. The word proposal is really to change the focus to services. And why? Because by changing the focus, we concentrate on the software dimension of infrastructure that is key for delivery of good services. And by good services, I mean sufficient services to have access, services that are of good quality and affordable. And this is a very important issue in Latin America. Services in Latin America, we show that in the book, tend to be expensive. Tariffs are higher in Latin America than in other regions. So the software agenda of the infrastructure that somehow has been absent in the public policy debate are very relevant and now more than ever in the context of COVID. And what do we mean by the software? One is, it, is regulation. You know, how the services are regulated, how standards of quality are set, what are the prices and how they change in time. The efficiency of utilities of service providers, are they good? Do they perform well? Are they inefficient or not? Do they innovate? Because you can have the best infrastructure in the world. Say you have the best road from city A to city B. But what happens if the trucking industry is extremely inefficient, all trucks, they collude and they set high prices? Then, you know, logistics cost will be high, despite the fact that you have a fantastic road. And then another dimension that is key in the software side is the role of consumers. Because with technology, consumption is changing very fast. And uh, if possible, I'd love to talk about that because it's uh, technology is uh, really changing completely how infrastructure services are produced and consumed. So it's now, I would say that now with COVID is more key than ever. Say, and another example, just for those listening, say, suppose public transportation now, where you need to change completely how public transport services are provided to keep distance. You need to change the frequency of services provider, how to keep distance. So it's all about COVID highlighted the role of services instead of 
having the infrastructure there. But government budgets are tight. How are we going to finance all of this infrastructure, Tomas? You're right. Budgets are tight in Latin America. The macroeconomic prospects are not really good. Let me uh, share with you some numbers. How much does Latin America invest in infrastructure? And it invests around 2.5% of its GDP. That number is very low compared with other developing regions is less than half of what East Asia invests per year. Out of this 2.5%, 2% is public financing and around 0.5% is private financing. And um, unfortunately, public investment has been going down at least since 2013 and quite dramatically. If you see the numbers, public investment keeps going down and down since 2013. So now we have COVID, we, uh, all over the world, we are arguing that, you know, infrastructure investment can help push economic growth. This is the time to invest. But Latin America is in a very dire fiscal situation. And I'm not very optimistic about the prospect of increasing public investment. Unfortunately, Latin America has built a bias against uh, public investment in infrastructure. In the recent history, show us that in the region, when there is an economic crisis, like COVID, and this is an example of a very bad economic crisis, investment in infrastructure is the first uh, budgetary item to be cut. But even in good times, infrastructure investment, or in general investment in capital, increases less than current expenditure, mostly, you know, to pay public sector wages or social transfer programs. And the 2000s gives us a very good example for Latin America. You know that in the 2000s, the region went through a boom, an economic uh, boom. And in that time, public expenditure increased around 5% of GDP. But out of that 5%, almost 90% went to current expenditure. And only 10% or so went to infrastructure, which is, is really bad because infrastructure investment lays the foundation for growth in the years and decades to come. So going forward, I should say that the solution to increase investment in infrastructure with this tight situation is to push for more private investment in infrastructure. So infrastructure is often associated, Tomas, with corruption and cost overruns. And the report talks about 35% of a project's cost that could be attributed to cost overruns and delays. Why is this so high? And how can Latin America obtain first-rate infrastructure? This is a, an excellent question. Thanks for asking it. And it's true. And that's a, an important data point, if you want, of the book and, and conclusion. We did a lot of detailed work to get this number. And this number comes from measuring cost overruns and uh, project implementation delays. But it's approximately 25% comes from cost overruns and 10% from, from project delays. And I agree with you that this number is high, although I should say that cost overruns and, and delays are present in all developing regions. In Japan, there was just a discussion this week about uh, cost overruns for the construction for the Olympics. Absolutely. I mean, this is a common characteristic of infrastructure investment. Because, you know, we try to make this point over and over again. 
building infrastructure is a difficult endeavor. Sometimes things don't work as expected. So cost overrun, and we make this point very clear in the book, shouldn't be associated with corruption. Sometimes cost overruns, it's the nature of investment in infrastructure. So what countries should do is really accept it and implement policies to reduce them as much as, as possible. And let me share with you at least things to do. Uh, and what we argue here is that countries should, quote unquote, invest in the investment process. That's the way to improve by reducing cost overruns and time delays. And, and what should countries do? First is to have infrastructure plans. And infrastructure plans, why are they important? Uh, because they produce, if they are, uh, you know, if they summarize a common vision for the development of a country and exceed, you know, the political cycle, they should produce a list of a pipeline of projects. And that pipeline of projects gives certainty to the construction industry. The construction industry needs, you know, a pipeline of where, what are the opportunities, the business opportunity in the future, because it's a very capital intensive industry and they need to invest. So it's really good for countries, for the industries to have a clear pipeline of projects. Second, and very related to this, is to allocate enough funds to pre-investment. And that's something that we see all over Latin America, is that projects go out for bidding when they are not well prepared. They are not well specified. So what happens is that there is a constant renegotiation of the terms of the projects and that leads to higher costs. And then something that it will resonate to you because you've written about this quite a bit is the need to stimulate competition and innovation. You know, competition by opening up the procurement process to all interested firms and foreign firms, local firms, but to have a very healthy competitive environment. And what happens very frequently is that governments tend to impose rules so that contracts are allocated to certain firms. So that's key. And then on innovation related to procurement is super important. What we should be doing is moving from selection criteria based on, on inputs that in general are outdated standards because countries don't update standards frequently to service. You know, just define the quality of service that governments want and then the private sector will come up with the best technical solution, the most, you know, cost-effective. And then another dimension to improve is to prioritize investment in maintenance instead of investment in new infrastructure. We can provide sometimes more services. What we need to do is improve maintenance of what we have to make the most of existing assets instead of building more and more and more. And this is key for services and technology is the way we are improving maintenance of services. And I give you a, an example. A recent I was reading on how say maintenance of aircrafts, of commercial aircrafts are changing. How it used to work for airlines is that they had pre-scheduled what was called preventive maintenance. So they sent an aircraft for maintenance for a few days, right? But now this is changing. Technology allows to send real-time data of the performance of engines 
for every fly sends to a center and they can do predictive maintenance. They know when the engine will most likely break down, so they reduce significantly the time an aircraft is on the ground. And that's super important because that reduces cost. It's a very expensive piece of equipment. And then the last piece, very important, is what we call in the book the elephant in the room. That is a need to fight uh, for corruption in infrastructure. And here, you know, we argue that, of course, the judicial system has to work well, but we are exploring the new uh, technological solutions, targeted solutions, and we have some very nice examples that the Inter-American Development Bank has been implemented and is called in Spanish, Mapa Inversiones, it's called Investment Map. Yeah, that is a geo-reference platform of projects that allow citizens to identify how resources are spent in their jurisdiction. So people can track, you know, how the project is moving forward, what's going on. And so some evaluations show that really time delays went down and cost tolerance went down. The, the examples, they are already implemented in Colombia, Peru, and Costa Rica. So, you know, countries have to invest in the investment process. There are no miracles. It's, it's hard the way ahead, but it has to be done. So how about in terms of the book argues that we've just been looking at infrastructure too much, as you said earlier, on concrete structures. How are we going to get this new mindset to work of thinking about services instead of hard assets? This is very much needed and it's coming because of technological change and mainly digitalization that is reshaping, as we mentioned before, completely the way we produce and consume services. So this is the disruption is really, really strong, is coming and brings potentially huge opportunities. And we take advantage. And clearly this will be done through a focus on services and not on building more and more. Let me give you an example of, of electricity and how this market used to work. And still is like this for many of us. But it's been a pretty boring market for over 100 years. You had a, a monopoly utility. Consumers, say you and I, our families, took all the energy they needed from the grid, right? From the utility, from a monopolist. That sets a price or, or the regulator sets a price. But this is changing, and this is changing fast. Now consumers can produce their electricity, say installing solar panels, and then trade the electricity they don't need or they don't use with the utility, and now more and more with other consumers with virtual platforms. This is why there is a new term in the industry that is called prosumer that is replacing the word consumer in this market, because consumers now are consumers and producers at the same time. And this will force, and it's already forcing, a change in the market. Utilities will have to adapt or will go bankrupt otherwise, because the demand is changing fast. They will have to change the business model, providing, for instance, new service, what is called ancillary services like smart metering in houses, that allows consumers to become more efficient and set up demand response programs, right? Now you will be able with uh, smart devices to program your laundry machine to start at 2 a.m. Uh, or dishwasher, you know, when demand is low, so your electricity bill will be able to go down. And there is a new trend 
super important that is, again, coming very strongly, that is electromobility. I don't know, Dan, but I guess your new car will, will be electric, right? For sure. Okay, great. But, you know, we'll have problems. And this is something that the policy will have to deal with. And what's the challenge here is that who's going to maintain the greed? Tariff, you know, demand will change. Prices will also have to change because we all have to rely on, on the grid that will still be there to transport electricity from the new sources of production. And unfortunately, regulators are not really changing fast. And this is, again, a software part of the agenda of infrastructure, the services. And I'm not an expert of what's happening in, in the U.S., but the problems are already there in California, for instance, where a big fraction of the electricity is being generated, what is called distributed energy with solar uh, farms. What's happening is that demand is falling for the utility and the reaction has been to increase average electricity rates, but that is impacting more and more the poor that don't have the resources to install solar panel in their houses. So you have an equity problem. You know, the technology will be fantastic, can bring enormous opportunities, but from the public policy perspective, we have to be careful. Regulation has to be very smart because uh, you will have some losers that you need to protect. What role does the IDB play in all this? So the American Development Bank is the largest investor. I think it's the most influential institution in the region, far more than other institutions I could name. I did a report on this a couple of years ago with Dr. Juan Jose Daboob. I'm a big believer that you all, both through your research, through your advice and your financing, play very large roles in all this. So could you talk a little bit about what role the IDB is playing and will play in all this conversation? I agree with you that, that multilateral institutions like IDB and bilateral donors, like USAID, will be very important. You know, just again, to share some numbers, the IDB does around, with a public and private arm, around $5 billion a year. I guess the other big multilaterals in the region, CAF and the World Bank, provide similar amounts of financing. So in total, we provide, say, around $15 billion or the equivalent of 10% of total financing of infrastructure investment in the region. That, of course, I mean, for some countries, large economies like Brazil and Mexico, that's not a big share. But for others, the small ones, the most vulnerable, it's key. The, the financing itself is very, very relevant. But the role of these institutions, and now with this fast approaching uh, trends of uh, technological disruption will, in my view, be more and more important in the future. And countries you know, will benefit a lot from technical assistance and knowledge to be able to understand these trends that, that will shape the infrastructure of the future. Countries need to understand what are the best technologies for them, how to change the procurement rules to provide incentives for private sector firms to innovate, how to really get rid of these old traditional procurement rules and move to performance-based procurement. Uh, so here the role is absolutely key. I'm thinking, say, for instance, in, in the uh, USA could, for instance, help countries share the experience of the US 
very rich experience in implementing regulatory sandboxes to test and learn new technologies. There is a lot of this going on in the US. This is a very, very nice examples and cases to export to the region. I'm sure at least Latin America could benefit a lot from this uh, US experience in, for instance, in autonomous vehicles. That's really happening in the US and regulation is providing this, you know, sandboxes that are very good for innovation. Another key support that you again, Dan, wrote a lot about this in a report is how to regulate data, how to protect privacy, how to avoid cybersecurity attacks as services become more and more digitalized and the amount of data grows exponentially. And here again, um, the multilaterals and, and bilateral donors can help. I'm very optimistic about all the benefits that technology, technological change can bring to you know, water, energy and transport. But um, changes go very fast and public institutions in, in Latin America Regulatory institutions tend to be weak. So here the roles of multilaterals is really, really important. It's not that much probably on the financing of traditional financing of, of roads and of concrete and steel, but more and more on, on the policies, on regulations, on technologies. Okay, so give us the bumper sticker of the report, Tomas, and a few thoughts for our listeners to come away with, because this report is called from structures to services, the path to better infrastructure in Latin America and the Caribbean that we've been talking about. So what are the bumper sticker parting thoughts you want to leave our listeners, Tomas? You know, the, the, the book documents that Latin America has many challenges in, in infrastructure. The region doesn't invest enough. And despite some progress in recent years, the, the services people and firms get are of low quality and sometimes very expensive. But the message is that the region can change. First, of course, it has to invest more and invest better to close the infrastructure gap that has been growing in the region. But it has to do it more efficiently. And, and a powerful message of the book is that Latin America needs to start preparing now, today, to adapt to emerging trends. And those trends are technological innovation, climate change, that is very, very relevant for the region, and increasing social demands for better services. And this is a region where the demands are very strong, and we saw what happened recently in Chile, for instance, where all the people went to the streets as a result of a 3% increase in the uh, metro fares. So really, uh, social demands for better infrastructure are already there in the region. And then, you know, technology will bring enormous opportunity to provide better services for all. But action, as I was saying, needs to be taken now. And for that, Latin America needs to update the regulation of its infrastructure. And regulation has to focus on how services are provided, how can we produce you know, innovation and bring more competition and push for investment in infrastructure that is compatible with mitigation and adaptation to climate change. And finally, you know, these changes need to be done in a way that protects the most vulnerable. And the book makes an argument for moving to subsidies. This is a region that provides around 1% of GDP in subsidies that are not effective in reaching the poor. And there are new ways to really target those subsidies to those in need. 
Tomas, this is great. Thanks for being with us today. I really have enjoyed this. I encourage you all to get the report and read it. It's called From Structures to Services, The Path to Better Infrastructure in Latin America and the Caribbean by the Inter-American Development Bank. Thanks, Tomas Serbrisky, for being with us. Thank you very much. And just to let the audience know, it's, they can go to www.iadb.org slash DIA 2020 infrastructure to get the book. And Dan, thank you very much for having me in your podcast. Happy to do it. Thanks, Tomas. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 